That's the movie I was telling you about. So I just ended with a preposition. I don't need to say that's the movie about which I was telling you. I would sound like kind of a weirdo if I did that. I might have fewer friends and a less rewarding social life. How do you feel about split infinitives or ending a sentence with a preposition? Do you get furious when you see a misplaced comma? Do you question yourself every time you dare to attempt to use a semicolon? Well, whether you're clued in or completely clueless about grammar, there's always one place you can turn to, the grammar table. What's a grammar table, you ask? Well, stick around and find out. Welcome to the Language Podcast. I'm Richard Simcott. In this podcast, we explore the ins and outs of the one thing that makes us uniquely human, language. This first season is all about the evolution of English. If you have a burning question about grammar, who better to ask than Ellen Joven? She's been answering grammar questions since 2018, when she set up a table outside her Manhattan apartment. From humble beginnings, Ellen's grammar table has hit the road, talking to strangers about language all around the US. She's even written a book about her travels. So yeah, she knows a thing or two about commas. So let's find out more. What exactly is a grammar table? It is a table that I set up in places in public, parks, street corners, um, wherever it seems like a good idea, with a sign that says grammar table, and people just come up to me and ask me questions about grammar and language. I've been to 47 states with a grammar table, but people from other parts of the world are often in those states. So I've actually talked about English with people from literally dozens and dozens of countries around the world, as well as other languages. I remember in a park in Austin, Texas, I talked with a family from London and got, got a good education in Texas on London slang. So that was educational for me. So now I can speak perfect London slang. No, I'm kidding. I can't. I can't remember any of it. <laughs> yeah, you have to go up the apples and pears and talk on the dog and bone. Oh my gosh. See, I'm never <laughs> going to be a pro. I'm always going to just be an observe. I'll be an observing amateur. I'm sure you'll be an expert in no time. But what is the deal with you and grammar and languages? I mean, what's your experience with all this stuff? I've always loved grammar. I've always loved pretty much anything that had to do with language. I remember loving spelling lists. I love conjugating verbs. You know, when I study new languages, I'm sitting there excitedly filling in the blanks with all the different tenses. And it's just, I, I don't know, it's just so enjoyable to me oh, or like, you know, learning new writing systems. I just love everything that has to do with language. I've studied, I haven't studied as many as you and I, I don't speak the volume of languages that you speak, but I've studied more than 25 from a variety of language families. And I, I love looking at how other languages arrange and form their words in sentences. What do you think is the real reason why it's useful to know about grammar or learn about grammar? Why is it important? It enables you to think about the way you use language in settings as an adult, you know, for work, for general communication, to think about how you put your words together to convey your ideas more effectively, to be more in control of meaning. Everyone knows as a writer, you write down a sentence, you're looking at it and it doesn't quite look right. What's wrong with this sentence? Grammar makes it easier for you to diagnose problems with sentences, with structure. So it is a technical skill, but it also supports 
what's very important to me, which is the art of writing and the art of speech. How do you arrange your words? How can you think about doing, arranging them in a more interesting and dynamic way? So it is, when I think about grammar, I think of a self-awareness of language. However you use it, being aware of how you deploy those tools is exciting and it's, it's also powerful. So do you see a flexibility in grammar rules? This is an interesting question because I think we have to start with the word rules in there. Often when people come up to the grammar table, they want to talk about a rule that they learned in school. So I get asked about supposed rules and I reject the idea that those are rules to begin with. So sometimes people say things like, I don't know, you can't, like I, I spend a lot of time at the table talking about how you can actually end a sentence in English with a preposition. You know, so for example, that's the movie I was telling you about. So I just ended with a preposition. I don't need to say that's the movie about which I was telling you. I would sound like kind of a weirdo if I did that. I might have fewer friends and a less, you know, less rewarding social life. Um, so actually a healthy percentage of my time at the grammar table is dedicated to disabusing people of superstitions they have about language that hobble them when they try to write and speak naturally. I am primarily a writer and editor. That's how I think of myself. I studied literature in college and in graduate school. And there are so many ways that you can put words together in an interesting and compelling way. So I am not a very rules-based kind of person. I'm aware of, and I talk about at the table, the kinds of things that you need to know to put sentences together elegantly, what you, you know, if you were going to try to publish something, what punctuation you might use to make it clearer, that kind of thing. But the idea that a lot of people come to me with about this very strict list of rules doesn't much affect me. You know, I don't really think about like, mm -hmm. I don't have a thing like you can't begin sentences with these words or end with these words. So a lot of them are just mistaken notions about what language is, can be, should be, and so on. And I think actually there's something I want to point out here, which is that for me, my role as a grammar table doesn't really require me to define grammar. So people can come up to me and talk to me about whatever they want. Their idea of grammar is what they bring to me. So they might want to know about a comma, which, you know, some people would say, well, that's really not grammar. That's not about the rules of how you put a language together, but it is something that interests people. So I'm there, or they might ask me about pronunciation. So I always bring a dictionary these days because you want to, you know, have coverage for that kind of thing, for, and for etymology, the history of words. So I'm there, I'm down for whatever they want to talk about. I'm just imagining, because you're saying people come up to you and ask you these questions. What do you think makes people go up to a stranger at a grammar table in a park or on the street, or even I, I'm guessing on public transport too, and, and ask questions about grammar? Well, Contrary to popular belief, people are interested in grammar. You know, for example, just on Twitter yesterday or the day before, I saw a professor who teaches writing. He said that he had asked his students what they wanted to talk about in their writing class. And he said there was a lot of interest in talking about grammar, and that surprised him. But it doesn't surprise me because people are attracted to the details of how things work. I mean, this is true for all aspects of our lives. You know, people get interested in details and it's kind of soothing to have a sense of just regularity. 
you know? So there's an appetite for that. Like when do I put a comma before an and, or when do I not? And then, you know, a rule, and then you don't have to worry about it. You can focus on the content, like poetic forms, you know, you have certain ideas about how many syllables in a line and what, and people construct within that framework. It's not always free form there. There's an attraction to form form is liberating. Having details is liberating. And then you don't like, you're not puzzling over what past participle you actually need there. You can just think about what it is that you want to say. So people are really curious about all kinds of things, language related. I mean, some people aren't, not everyone stops. Some people look at me like I'm a total weirdo and keep walking. Um, (laughs) But then also I think people come up because I think there's an app, this is not really so much grammatical, but there's an appetite for human. No, it isn't a way. Um, There's an appetite for human contact. You know, a lot of us are on computers. We're separated. And the language that ties us together is also the thing that ties people to me at the grammar table. So we're talking about language as we're using it. And that is fun and exciting. And then there's another thing too, which is that the grammar table, it allows for catharsis because you can go through quite a dramatic argument about a particular verb form. But then at the end of it, we're all friends. You know, it's not like a high stakes discussion. Like a husband and wife might come up to me and they want to talk about what pronoun form should have been in the husband's text, you know, and that they're, they're not going to get divorced over that. They're going to laugh. We're all going to laugh and then they'll go away and it's fun. It's interesting because, you know, when it comes to grammar and people asking you questions, Grammar was always something that I perceived people were scared of because of the word grammar. And of course, during this conversation, you've mentioned terms like pronouns, you know, subject, verb, object, order, word order. Do people really use these kinds of forms when they approach you or do they put them in a different way? And how would that look? Well, people don't always know the names of things, but I'm used to understanding what they might be referring to. (laughs) So for example, people will come up and ask about pronouns at the end of the sentence. They mean prepositions. They'll ask about apostrophes and they'll say comma. I mean, not that often, but sometimes people space out and they say commas and then Mm -hmm. they'll call colons, semicolons and semicolons, colons and and, and hyphens, dashes and dashes, hyphens. And a lot of times people come up feeling insecure or they're apologetic for not knowing the names of things. And that actually, I don't think, I don't think is particularly important. You know, the things that we, we learn in school to have a conversation or some of us learn in school, I don't know how it's not universal that you learn all these terms. The terms we use in school enable us to discuss them in a school context, you know, like, okay, where's the subject? Where's the verb? What's the predicate? All that kind of stuff. You don't necessarily need that for adult life. You can have a really long and happy adult life without remembering what all those things are. But the re- I think, you know, this is how I think of it. The residue of examination, of self-aware examination in school sticks. It sticks with you. You have a have a you have a hangover. You have a grammar hangover. So you may not know the words, but often you remember things that you don't even really realize you remember. Let's take a quick break to let you know about the sponsor of this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by the Michel Thomas Method, an accelerated stress-free approach to mastering a new language based on the way the brain prefers to receive, retain, and retrieve information. You learn through listening and speaking so that you feel a constant sense of progression, and you'll stick to it because you'll love it. 
listeners of the language podcast get a special 30% discount on the Michael Thomas course of their choice. Just follow the link in the show notes. Coming up, Ellen tells us about the one grammar question she gets asked the most. But first, I want to know what question you'd ask Ellen if you ran into her. Are there any grammar questions you're dying to know the answer to? Let me know in the episode's comments section on the Language Podcast YouTube channel, and we'll even put the most popular question to Ellen. Right, back to the chat. Here's Ellen with the grammar issue she gets asked about the most. There's one question that I get asked about so many more times than any other question ever, and it's the Oxford comma, also known as the serial comma or the series comma, which is the comma that goes before the and in a list. You know, like I ordered spaghetti, salad, and marshmallow pie. Okay, so there's a do you put the comma before the and or not? And people are obsessed with that. I get I've been asked about that probably in almost every U.S. state, and I recently started going out with the table more again. And I swear I must have. It's like fifty percent of the questions are about the Oxford comma. I also <laughs> get asked the second. I don't really have a second most common question. I don't because that's so so much the winner. But I do get also asked about the singular they. I get asked about things like lie and lay, which make people absolutely insane. I get asked about which versus that. And I get asked about which versus that more because of, you know, the UK. I blame I blame the UK for that because there are inconsistencies <laughs> in how they use it with how how it's most often used in the United States. So if you could please fix that. And also little things like this is also partly your fault. So things like <laughs> things like where the punctuation goes around, you know, when you have quotation marks, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And oh, one one huge hit at the grammar table is how do you form the possessive of something like Charles? Yeah, do you put it after the S or before the S or add an extra S? Well, the, qu- the, qu- the question, yeah, the question is, do you do Charles apostrophe book or do you do Charles mm-hmm. apostrophe S book? So this is an example of how the tiny details fascinate people and they like to have them under control because I get a disproportionate number of questions about very little things like this that don't really have a big effect on, you know, the set. They don't have a big effect on the sentence, the meaning, what you're trying to say, but they're, they're almost little formatting things that people want to know about. But I love that stuff. I'm happy to talk about that all day long. That's sort of the domain of an editor, which is definitely something I've spent some time in my life working out and I've been an editor. So I have to ask, after you mentioned the Oxford comma, are you an Oxford comma fan? I like to maintain neutrality about a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) I do currently use the Oxford comma and I would call it, I would prefer to call it the serial comma, but people don't really know it by that name so much here. They, they know it as the Oxford comma. So I just go with the flow there. Um, I use it. But when I worked as a freelance reporter, I didn't use it because Associated Press style, which governs a lot of what you see in newspapers, doesn't currently use it. That could change, Mm -hmm. though. Tell me, what's what's, um, the most surprising thing that you've been asked? Probably the 
woman in Detroit who wanted to know how to get a red stain out of a white carpet. That one wasn't really expected. Um, but I've had, I've had, I've, had, I've, I've tried hard to answer. I think I, I may have helped. I tried. Oh, so he, I was talking to a guy in New Orleans who wanted to talk about pronouns and pronoun case, which means the form of a pronoun that you use in a particular grammatical situation. For example, it's, you know, he threw the ball, but the ball struck him, that kind of thing. And I know you know mm-hmm. about that, Richard, since you know 5 billion languages, which have a lot more it's cases. 5 billion and one now. Languages, <laughs> <laughs> languages that have many more grammatical cases than English does. But I was explaining to him, so he wanted to know how to use who and whom. And so I was explaining to him by using examples with he and him, you know, and talking briefly about subject pronouns like he, she, we, and who, and object pronouns, him, her, us, and whom. And he stopped me and he said, so that thing that you're talking about, object pronouns, could we maybe, you know, see about changing that terminology? And I I was like, why? And he said, because, you know, it's kind of, you know, he was concerned about the dehumanizing nature of that so that we shouldn't be referring to him as an object pronoun. We should be more, I guess, humane about how we refer to these things. And I said, oh, well, it's, it doesn't really mean that, that the person is an object. And he said, but you're, you're in the grammar business. Can't you do something about it? So I said I would file a complaint. <laughs> <laughs> and have, you, have you heard back about the complaint? <laughs> Ticket number, what was that? <laughs> I have quite a few um, oh. fantasy complaints filed, <laughs> and there's a lot of inaction. <laughs> I, I think there needs to be I, a book just want... on your complaint files. <laughs> <laughs> one thing um, I, I just want to make clear about the grammar table. One of the reasons I think people come up is because I don't look like I'm going to be scary. You know, I'm not sitting there holding a giant ruler or something like that. So it's not the grammar judgment table. It's the lang- It's more like you know, if I could give it an, a pseudonym, it'd be more like language joy or language appreciation table. It's, I talk about slang. I talk about different dialects. I talk about, mm-hmm. I do talk about standard English that you would need to use for publication or at work more than anything else, because that's what people ask me about, but I'm not there to beat people into submission to particular mm-hmm. grammar rules that I think they should follow. It's never like that. When you're going around everywhere, What's something that always surprises people when you speak on this topic? I can't say always, but often people are surprised that there is the amount of interest in talking about grammar that there is. And it never surprises me because I know, I, you know, I've been teaching my entire adult life with the exception of a few years. And I know people are fascinated by it. And, you know, no matter where I am, like if I could be sitting on the edge of a farm, I could be in a park, I could be in a tiny town in the middle of Nebraska, and people will always come up and talk to me. I've never been someplace where, you know, if I just sat there, people wouldn't come up and talk to me on the edge of a river, you know, like I've, I've been in some weird places. And people always <laughs> want to, like- people always want to, they always want to talk about it. I do think, you know, um, the surprise of it is important. I think, you know, it seems that people don't really expect to see a grammar table on the street. Mm. And so I consider that to be part of the, the playfulness of language though, you know, like a grammar table, why is there a grammar table? Well, 
language will surprise you all the time. You know, things that come out of people's mouth, tables that pop up on the street. And one of my favorite things, and this happened, this happened just the last time I went out, people will just walk up and not even say hi. And they'll just start asking a question like, where do you put the apostrophe in this? Or, you know, and, and as though it's totally normal and, and I'll answer and they'll walk away. I mean, it's, it's, it's what? bizarre. It's completely bizarre, <laughs> but it just absolutely cra- like, it's my favorite thing. That's hilarious. I love it. Like it's a normal thing on the street. Oh yeah. I'll just go to, to on my way to work. Oh, there's the grammar table. I'll just ask a quick question. <laughs> right. But I, like but maybe Google. not even that like much. It's like, no, hello. No. Hello. I'm like, exactly. Exactly. Sometimes, or they, you know, they might not even really stop. They'll just stop long enough to ask the question. I'll say yes or no. And they're gone. Oh, well, even but Siri gets a hey. <laughs> I'm more advanced than Siri. I don't, you don't have to butter me up with a hey. <laughs> it's hilarious. I love it. Oh dear. Is there, is there a piece of information that you particularly enjoy sharing on the topic? I love talking about plurals and possessives of proper nouns. For example, you're doing your holiday cards, you know, and you send them to all your friends and family and you want to, let's say your last name is something like Cress. C-R-E-S-S. So then you want to say something like the Cresses went to Iceland for summer vacation, you know, and then they show pictures and they heard their holiday letter of the big Cresses and the little Cresses in Reykjavik. So the Cresses, like how do you write the plural of Cress? And a lot of people do C-R-E-S-S apostrophe S, but actually it's C-R-E-S-S-E-S for the plural. And then if you want to start talking about the possessives of the singular and the plural form of that noun, people get, first of all, they get confused, but they also get mad because in English, people feel like you're changing their name. Like you're not allowed to put an ES on the name on the end of crest. So they get all, it bothers them. And that's why they start wriggling around and trying to put apostrophes in there and doing weird things. But as you know, Richard, from from studying other languages, like in Slavic languages, you change the forms of names all the time. It's not a big deal. That's something I find really interesting in English that people really have a hard time with that. So Mm. my goal is to help them feel more comfortable with adding S's to their name, adding ES's to their name. Should they be the, I won't say unfortunate, but the um, more put upon owners of a surname that concludes with an S. But I just love that stuff. And I was, oh, this was really weird. I was sitting on, I was sitting on Venice Beach um, and a guy mm-hmm. had just asked how you form, I don't remember if it was the plural of Jones, the name Jones, or mm-hmm. the possessive of Jones. But literally, I was about to open my mouth and answer. And this woman and her husband, and they had two little, a baby and a, a toddler with them. The woman stopped and said, oh my gosh, my our name is Jones. And so we literally had a Jones family there on the spot to discuss the question that this guy whose name was not Jones had just asked at random on the beach. And I, like, how, how could that even happen? I know Jones is a common name, but would you expect a whole family of Joneses to show up while you're answering a question <laughs> about how to make the Jones plural? It's bizarre. It was like a, it was like a perfect visual aid. And she had on this red dress. It was very striking. It was awesome. Do you have the expression uh, in the U.S. keeping up with the Joneses? Yes, and that see now, like that's an example. If you if you administered a dictation quiz to 
a hundred people walking down the street and said, please write on this piece of paper, keeping up with the Joneses. Did you have to do dictation quizzes in school, Richard? We did everything. You can. Okay. (laughs) So I love dictation quizzes. Like I I really love those. But if you administered a quiz, keeping up with the Joneses, write down a piece of paper to a hundred random passersby. I think a lot of them would write J-O-N-E-S apostrophe S. I'm not sure how many, and it would vary depending on where you are probably, but you know, it would be an interesting quiz. A kind, I think actually I might try this at the grammar table now, and I will report back <laughs> to you later. So you've been going all around the US and setting up the grammar table, speaking to lots of different people and answering lots of questions about grammar. But have you been writing any of this down? Yes. Have you, is there anywhere people can read this as well? Uh, yes, there is, in fact. And um, Brant, my husband, has traveled all over the US with me and attached to the grammar table in most places I have been has been a camera. So there's been a camera behind the grammar table, a camera attached to the grammar table. He's been filming everywhere. So we we have a documentary record that he's making into a film about the adventures of the grammar table. I've also completed a book called Rebel with a Clause, Tales and Tips from a Roving Grammarian. From everything we've spoken about to do with grammar, is there one key thing that everyone should know about what we've talked about today? I feel that a lot of your listeners probably already feel this way, but the idea that grammar is is actually fun. If you approach it in a way that engages the human spirit, that it is fun, it's exciting, you know, it's sexy, like it's just interesting. And I wish that instead of having this stodgy reputation, it gets vilified a lot. People think of grammarians, grammar lovers as being pedants and pugilistic pedants. <laughs> uh, I wish they would... I wish we could have a different association with that aspect of language. Thank you so much, Helen, for for joining us today and for talking about grammar. All the very best for your future travels. A massive thank you to Ellen Joven for today's episode. And if you agree with her that grammar is fun, get involved in the comments section. I want to know what question you'd ask Ellen if you had the chance, and we'll put the most popular question to her. Who knows, maybe you'll make it into her next book. If you enjoyed listening to Ellen, be sure to check out her book, Rebel with a Clause, Tales and Tips from a Roving Grammarian, and read all about her adventures touring the US with The Grammar Table. Check the show notes for special discounts and offers. You've been listening to The Language Podcast with me, Richard Simcott. Coming up next time, we'll be speaking to David Crystal about the future of English, looking at its status around the world today and how it's set to evolve in the years to come. Don't forget to like us and subscribe. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.